I checked with Mark Wilson and he approved the following comments. Mark has uh, been looking for a job. He was laid off from his previous job because of the lower gas prices affecting his uh, company. So he's been out in the market looking for a job and turning in applications and interview, getting interviews. This past week in preparation for this message, I was reading the top five ways to not interview for a new job. Now, Mark hasn't done any of these, but these are actual people who interviewed for a job and did these things. A candidate told the interviewer that he lost his last job because he beat up the boss. That's something you don't want to share probably in an interview. One guy forgot dark socks to go with his suit, so he colored his ankles with a black felt-tip marker, forgot that he had done so, and then proceeded to cross his feet on the desk in front of the boss. Another applicant kept asking the interviewer, how long is this going to take? It's probably not a good thing to do. The applicant repeatedly blew her nose and lined up all the tissues on the desk in front of her. And then this one was the piece de resistance. Uh, the interviewer said, and I quote, I was interviewing someone who took a cell phone call and asked me to leave my office while they talked. I want to talk to you today from Jonah chapter 2 about praying and walking with God in 2015. We talked about it last week, but I want to look at it from an opposite perspective today. I want us to consider how not to pray and walk with God. Last time we discovered that if we're going to pray and walk with God this year, it will involve recognizing His hand in our lives, His sovereign control. It will involve responding to Him in glad submission. It will involve rejoicing in His mercy, finding our satisfaction only in Him. And it will involve renewing a commitment on our part to serve Him wherever and whenever He calls and leads. So this week we're going to talk about how not to pray and walk with God. Jonah illustrates two of the three ways that we're going to talk about this morning. He illustrates them in a negative example. And then the third way, he is a positive role model for us. So let's go back and look at Jonah's prayer. Jonah chapter 2, verse 1. Remember now, Jonah has been cast into the Mediterranean Sea out of the sailor ship. He's uh, heading to the bottom, but God sends a great fish to swallow him up and spare his life. So verse 1 says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the stomach of the fish. The first way I want us to consider of not praying and walking with God is delaying. To pray without purpose. So we don't even pray at all because there is no purpose to it, we think. Jonah, you see, was a Jewish prophet of God. He knew the importance of prayer. Devout Jews, then and even still today, were accustomed to praying three times a day. David wrote in Psalm 55, verse 17, and Jonah was familiar with the Psalms. We learned that last time. 
David wrote Psalm 55:17, "At evening, morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud, and the Lord will hear me." And the Old Testament character Daniel illustrates that commitment to praying three times a day. He kept up that lifelong pursuit of talking to God even when the order was given through Babylon to only pray to Darius the king. He continued to pray. Daniel chapter 6 verse 10 says, He continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God as he had been doing previously. I love that. Oh, what a powerful thing that would be if that was our characteristic. That people would say of us, Oh, Bill's praying again. And if it's something we've been doing previously, been doing regularly, faithfully, consistently, there's going to be a huge change in our walk with God. But think about Jonah. Even though he had been challenged in chapter 1 by the sailors to pray to his God, he didn't take that challenge. He delays praying until he's thrown into the sea and he's beginning to drown. So the first and worst way to not pray and walk with God is to not pray at all. Or to wait until we are in some desperate situation, until we're at some crisis point, and then we pray. It's interesting that the only recorded prayers of this Jewish prophet of God are here in chapter 2, and then two very short prayers in chapter 4, in which he says to God, just take my life. I can't handle this anymore. I've had it with the whole thing. Now, I'm not suggesting this morning that prayer is not right when life is out of sorts. Quite the contrary. I can think of another drowning victim, for example, who prayed out of desperation like Jonah. I'm talking about the disciple Peter. Jesus had walked out to His disciples on the water. He bid Peter to come to Him. Peter got out of the boat and was walking on the water until he saw the waves. And he became afraid and began to sink. And in Matthew 14, verse 30, he prayed very quickly and very powerfully, Lord, save me! An appropriate prayer. There's nothing wrong and everything right with those kinds of desperation prayers. But how much better it is to develop a lifestyle of praying about everything. I mentioned this verse last week, Philippians 4, verse 6. Paul says, In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. In everything. John Henry Jowett, who was a Baptist preacher and who taught preaching skills to seminarians for decades, used to tell young preacher boys the best way to learn to preach is to preach. And so I would paraphrase that this morning and say the best way to learn to pray is to pray. Just do it. Pray about everything and pray often. God loves to hear us pray. One of my favorite songs is a song that uh, gospel artist uh, Larnell Harris sings. And it's based on God and His thoughts about our time with Him. And the title of the song is, I Miss My Time With You. God wants us to pray. He wants that time with us. 
So we need to pray. Some people ask, why do we even bother to pray if God already knows what we need and He knows even what we would say when we do pray? And the answer is because prayer indicates dependence on God. And God wants us to learn that we can depend on Him. So, start each day in prayer. Have a purpose for praying. Oh, there are so many things to pray about. The list is almost endless. So rather than wait for some catastrophic event to drive you or me to prayer, let's pray often during the day. Powerful praying isn't based on posture, but on purpose. It doesn't require a folding of the hands, or kneeling on our knees, or closing our eyes, or bowing our heads. We can pray while driving the car. And God certainly doesn't want us, if we're the driver, to close our eyes and bow our heads while we're driving. We can pray anytime, anywhere, for any reason. That is, praying with purpose. By the way, for you parents, I want to throw out the challenge to pray with your children often. It's a great legacy that you can leave them. I'm so thankful for the legacy of prayer that my parents taught me in our home. And I know Gloria feels the same way about the home she grew up in. Pass that on to your children. Pray with them regularly. Teach them how to pray by praying with them. Jonah knew he should pray, but he didn't until it reached a desperation point. Crunch time. If he had been praying while walking with God, it's very likely he would have said when God called him the first time, go to Nineveh, yes, Lord, I'll do it. But he didn't. He walked the other way. So instead of rebelling, he could have answered God's call. And even after rebelling, when he got on that ship, And they first said to him, why don't you pray to your God? He could have said, listen, I'm going to stop right now, right here on this deck, and I'm going to confess my sin to the Lord, and I'm going to beg Him to save us all. He could have done that, but he didn't. He could have been dropped off at the nearest point and gone to Nineveh after all. But that's not the approach that he took. He didn't pray at all until he was drowning in the sea. He could have prayed for those sailors' safety after they threw him overboard. As he was going down, he could have been praying for them. But there's not a record of that. There's a record of him praying for God to deliver him. And I understand that. There's one thing Jonah did do right in finally praying while he was heading toward the bottom of the sea. He prayed with passion. He didn't just say words. So the second way that we are to not pray while walking with God is just saying words without any zeal, without any passion. Jonah got right down to the business at hand. Look at verse 1. He prayed to the Lord his God from the stomach of the fish, and he said in verse 2, I called out of my distress. Verse 2, I cried for help. Verse 7, while I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to thee. 
He prayed. He prayed for God to intervene and save him, and God did. And then he praised God for answering his prayer. Praise God for that immediate answer. He also makes a promise in prayer, doesn't he? Look at verse 9. I will sacrifice to thee with the voice of thanksgiving that which I have vowed I will pay. Whatever that vow was, God give me another chance and I'll go this time. Whatever that vow was, he said, I'll pay that vow. I'll do it. He's praying with passion. He's very serious here. He's not praying some child's prayer like now I lay me down to sleep. Something he memorized when he was a little boy. Or God is great, God is good, now we thank you for our food. Amen. He's not praying that kind of prayer. He's praying from desperation and with passion. God, save me. I'm in distress here. I'm drowning. The weeds are wrapping around my head. I need your help. So the second way we should not pray and walk with God is to merely say words without zeal. Jesus spoke about the religious leaders of His day in Jerusalem and the surrounding towns and what He had to say was not flattering. Matthew 6 verse 5 says, When you pray, speaking to His disciples, you are not to be as the hypocrites are, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners in order to be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward. That's all they're going to get. The pat on the back from somebody saying, Way to go, Pharisee. Way to go, scribe. Way to go, leader. I heard you pray and it was awesome. That's all they're going to get. They're not going to get answers to their prayers because the prayer is self-focused. And in verse 7 of that same chapter, Matthew 6, Jesus tells His disciples about the religious non-Jews and their weak and worthless praying. Here's what He says. When you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. Long prayers are not necessarily effective prayers. Flowery words might win a speech contest, but they don't necessarily connect with our prayer-hearing, prayer-answering God. And praying in generalities is not going to bring a specific answer for us and our needs or for the needs of others. I want to expand on those three statements that I just gave for a moment. First of all, I said long prayers are not necessarily effective prayers. You can do the research that I've done. There are 20, two, or excuse me, 222 recorded prayers in the Bible. Not just he or she prayed or he or she called on the Lord, but actual prayers recorded word for word. It's an interesting study in the power of words and in the beauty of brevity. Let me give you a couple of examples. In Genesis, there are three prayers of Abraham recorded for us. Those three prayers average 74 words each. That's not a long prayer. In Exodus, there are four prayers recorded from Moses, the great leader of the people of Israel. The average of his prayers is 58 words, even shorter. 
And one more illustration from the New Testament, the Gospels, Jesus' prayer life. There are eight prayers of Jesus in the Gospels, and the average length of the Master's prayers is 103 words. Again, not a long prayer. My point of that is that time on the clock is not the same as tenacity or passion or zeal in prayer. There's nothing wrong with praying for a long time. Many of the most godly men and women down through history were men and women who prayed for hours. But they weren't just saying words. They were praying with passion and with purpose. And they got hold of God and got answers to their prayers. Some people read a verse like 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing, and they scratch their heads and say, how do you do that? What does that mean, pray without... I can't pray 24 hours a day, and God knows that. He built us. He created us. He knows we need rest. We need to eat. We need to work to provide for ourselves or our families. But the meaning of that command is that we persist in prayer. That we never give up. Jesus put it this way in Luke 18, verse 1. Men ought always to pray and not to faint. So Jesus gives us a choice. We can pick one. Pray or collapse. Go to God in prayer or collapse and faint and give up. If the choice is that, praying or throwing up our hands in frustrations, I'll take prayer. I hope you will too. The second statement I made is that flowery words may win a speech contest, but they don't necessarily connect with our prayer-hearing, prayer-answering God. On more than one occasion, Jesus, while He was on earth, asked people who had come to Him for healing, what is it that you want? I think of one example in Matthew 20, verses 32 to 34, about two blind men who came to Jesus to be healed. Jesus stopped them. I'm quoting now from Matthew 20:32. Jesus stopped them and called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? And they said, Lord, optical nerves are an amazing creation of God. They connect the retina of the eye directly with the brain and signal that the item being examined in the line of sight is what it appears to be. We both strongly desire to have those optical nerves restored to full functionality and the connection between our retinas and corneas and our cerebral cortex be put back to its original design by the master creator of this whole universe. No, that's not what they said. Those would be nice flowery words. But what they said is, Lord, we want to see. How simple is that? How basic and yet how passionate. We want to see. The famous Chicago preacher of another generation, Dwight Lyman Moody, was at a pastor's conference on one occasion. And the minister sitting right in front of him was called on to give the opening prayer. And so that minister stood up and began this flowery prayer, listing all the character traits of God that he could think of and enumerating blessing after blessing from God's gracious hand upon the churches of the Chicago area. And he droned on and on and on. And finally, Mr. Moody 
tugged at his coat and whispered in his ear, just call him Father and ask him for something. That's how simple prayer is. Just ask. In Matthew 7, when Jesus teaches more about prayer, He says, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. That's the secret to powerful praying. Again, I'm not advocating sentence prayers only, although there's nothing wrong with that. And I'm not saying that long prayers are just so many words. What I'm saying is that the longing of my heart before God is better than the long prayers I may pray before men. And the final statement I made is that praying in generalities will not bring about specific answers to our needs or the needs of others. When you study the prayers of the Apostle Paul, and there are 13 of them recorded in the New Testament, you'll be struck as I was that the Apostle Paul made specific requests, 43 of them in those 13 prayers. Specific requests, mostly for other people, but a few of them for himself, asking people to pray for him. When we pray specifically, God answers in specifics. Here's how Jesus put this whole issue Luke chapter 11, verses 11 to 13. Jesus said, Now suppose that one of you fathers is asked by a son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead, will he? Or if he asks for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? Obvious answers to those questions. Of course not. Jesus goes on to say, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? God is a giver. He wants to give you answers to your prayers. Prayers that are in line with His will. And prayers that will enhance your walk with God. And since God answers in specifics, let's learn to pray that way. And as we do, we'll learn that while praying and walking, our focus is not to be on ourselves only. That's the final way that we are not to pray, and that is by portraying me in the best way possible. Focusing on myself. Not sacrificing my prayer time for the needs and concerns of others. Or the concerns of God. When you look closely at Jonah's prayer here in our context, you'll notice how much he refers to himself. And I understand the urgency of him praying for himself. He's drowning. Of course, we would pray for ourselves if we were in that situation. But I discovered something very interesting and yet disturbing in Jonah's prayer. I didn't mention this last week because I felt it was better to save it for this message this morning about how not to pray. Look at verse 8 with me. Those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness. Some translations say those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. The meaning is that idol worshippers will not find the mercy or faithfulness of God because they're praying to something other than God or someone other than God. And they won't turn to the true God. But the interpretive question here is, who is Jonah talking about? 
I personally believe that he's talking here about either the sailors who are up on that ship now on smooth waters headed for Tarshish, or he's talking about the people of Nineveh or both. I don't believe he's talking here about himself. Some expositors say that he's referring to himself here and that he had kind of worshipped his own idol of self. I don't think that's what he's talking about here. Why? Because 23 times in this prayer he uses personal pronouns. I, me, my. And again, there's nothing wrong with that in his situation. But then you get to verse 8 and it's those. Those people. Those idol worshippers. I think what's happened here is that he now is expressing in the middle of this prayer for God, please help me. He's expressing his racism and his prejudice against non-Jews. You see, where else did we read about idols in this book? Chapter 1, right? Verse 5. The sailors were afraid because of this horrible storm and they cried out to their gods, their idols. I believe that's who Jonah's talking about here. Those sailors and the people of Nineveh. He knew what they were like. The Jews hated the Assyrians. The Assyrians had attacked them more than once over the decades. And it would happen again sometime after Jonah. But the application for prayer for us is that prayer is not meant only for us. Prayer is meant for others who need our prayers. Prayer is a strong connector to brothers and sisters in the Lord who need our praying. It draws us closer together. Prayer is a spiritual force to be reckoned with when we pray for lost sinners around us to come to faith in Jesus Christ and Prayer is a powerful tool in our fight against Satan and evil. Jonah's prejudice shows through in verse 8. When I read that verse and really thought about it, I thought about a Pharisee that Jesus used as an illustration in Luke chapter 18. A Pharisee and a tax collector. And Jesus contrasted the two as it relates to prayer. Here's what Jesus says in Luke 18, verse 11. The Pharisee stood and was praying thus to himself. Stop. Did you hear that? He was praying to himself. (laughs) God wasn't listening. Why? Because his prayer was all wrong. It was all self-focused. Here was his prayer. God, I thank Thee that I'm not like other people. Swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector pointing to the guy over there. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all I get. Jesus goes on to say, but the tax collector standing some distance away was not even willing to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus summarizes that account by saying this one, referring to the tax collector, This one went home justified, right with God, rather than the other. Why? Because his prayer was sincere and from his heart. It wasn't just so many words. And it didn't include prejudice. We certainly wouldn't be that prejudiced, of course. 
(laughs) I hope. But here's how this works in our praying sometimes. And I'm convinced that it causes wobbly walking. Which is part of why I titled the sermon that way. It causes wobbly walking because it doesn't honor God or help anyone else. It happens when we pray about our needs only instead of the needs of others. It happens also when we think prejudicially in our prayers. Let me give you an example. We've had lots of stories recently, including this past week, of how some of the terrorists involved with ISIS, the Islamic State, uh, just this past week executed some Japanese news reporters. We hear those stories, and and I'm, I'm sure that there are some Christians who think all Muslims are terrorists. And they don't deserve the grace of God like us Christian Americans. I don't think I'm putting words in some of their mouths when I say that. I think that's happening. But it also happens in different ways with some of us. We may not have that issue, but we may have some bitter spirit towards someone else. And so we won't ever pray for them because they did something bad to us. They hurt our feelings. So I'm not going to pray for them. They're not walking with God. I am. So I'm not going to pray for them. Look what they did to me. They should come and apologize to me first. And maybe then I'll pray for them. Self gets in the way of real praying while we're seeking to walk with God. And the result is that we become weak spiritually when our prayers are not God-focused and others-concerned. So many times in our praying, and I know because I've done it, our goal is to get what we want. But God's goal in our praying is to make us what He wants us to be. If you look up the word self in a thesaurus, you'll discover at least ten synonyms for self. Words like autonomous or narcissistic. But you'll only find one antonym, one opposite. Others. That's how it should be. And that's what it is. It's either self or others. And our praying is either self-focused or others-focused. And most importantly, God-focused. If we're going to pray powerfully and walk with God intimately in 2015, we need to pray for each other. We need to be praying for the lost around us to come to Christ. So, don't delay. Pray. Don't wait till a crisis moment. Be regular and consistent in praying. And pray with purpose, with a divine purpose behind it. Ask God what you should be praying for your brothers and sisters in the Lord and for those lost ones around us who need Jesus. And then secondly, don't just say words. Pray with passion, with zeal. And finally, don't try to portray yourself in the best light possible. Be others-focused. Pray for others that they'll find the strength to walk with God in 2015. Pray for them and pray with them to that end. 
in a larger context of God's discipline of His children, like His discipline of Jonah, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 12 says, Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. The person who's just drooped over just can't take it anymore. They're ready to fall down and give up. Strengthen them. Help them stand strong and confident in the Lord. How do we do that? Through prayer. With and for each other. Now, let me get more practical. We've been challenging our church family during the month of January to be praying about how much God would have us give to the work of the church this year, 2015. We've urged everyone to be praying for God to lay on their heart a promise that they can make to give a certain amount each month of this year to help the church pay its bills and support missions. So here's how today's message relates to that connection. First of all, don't delay. I hope you've been praying all month long. Second, don't just say words. Be specific in your praying. Lord, show us how much we as a family or how much I as an individual from what You've given to me should give this year month by month. Lord, show us how we can increase our giving over a previous year. Lord, show us how we can help meet the needs of our growing church family and meet the budget that the church members have set for the operation of this ministry. And then finally, don't be self-focused in that praying. Ask God how our whole church family can reach a community for Christ. What that's going to take. So I'm asking Jim and Jeff if they will come right now and give you one of these little papers that we handed out a couple of weeks ago as a prayer reminder. And it simply says on it, Before God, in prayer and by faith, I promise to give blank each month of 2015 to the Lord because He's been so very generous to me. And what we'd like to have you do is, if you have been praying about that and God has given you an answer, fill that blank in today. Don't sign your name to it. We don't want to know who is giving what. It's just going to be a help to us as we approach our annual meeting in the end of February to know how much money will be coming in if people are faithful to those promises, those pledges. Again, it's by faith and by prayer. And then once you've filled it out, you can fold it up a time or two and you can stick it in that wooden box back there that uh, is primarily for the books for the ladies' Bible study. But that's what we're asking you to do today. If you're not quite ready to make that decision, pray about it yet this week and bring it back with you next week filled in. And again, stick it in that box. And we're trusting that God will give us as leaders of the church wisdom then in how to use those funds for His glory. So Jim and Jeff, if you would pass those out. While they're doing that, I want to wrap up this message by saying that I'm sure you know that no mere human can pray perfect prayers with all the right motives, asking all the right requests, with all the passion that can possibly be. But do know this, Jesus is our perfect model for praying. 
He prayed perfectly. His prayers are worth studying over a lifetime. He prayed throughout his lifetime here on earth. His ministry was strengthened by prayer at all times. At times he prayed alone, at times he prayed with others, and he prayed especially for others. His prayers were not long or flowery, but they were filled with zeal. His passion, his zeal was so intense that it took him all the way to the Garden of Gethsemane where he poured out his heart to God and then, more importantly, took him to the cross where he poured out his precious blood for you and me for the forgiveness of our sins. His praying, in other words, wasn't mere words. And he's the one that David writes about in the Shepherd's Psalm, Psalm 23. Some of you know it from memory like I do. If you do, I invite you to quote it with me. And we're going to get to one phrase in it that's a powerful phrase about our Good Shepherd. Would you uh, quote that psalm with me? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for Thou art with me. Thy rod and staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Right in the middle of that is that phrase, He leads me, like a good shepherd, in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. And for our blessing, I would add. But for His name's sake, He leads us. We're going to sing a song together. In the middle of it, I'm going to pray for us. And then before we close the service this morning, I invite you to fill that sheet out sometime before you leave today and put it in that box in the back. Again, if you're not ready to do that today and we're not forcing anyone, we're not arm-twisting anyone, God doesn't arm-twist us to pray. That's a choice we make. But we'd love to have that input from you for our church. But I invite you to stand with me and sing about our gentle shepherd as a prayer to him, asking him to lead us even in this important matter. Me, will you? Gentle Shepherd, come and lead us, for we need you to help us find our way. Gentle Shepherd. feed us for we need 
your strength from day to day. There's no other we can turn to who can help us face another day. Gentle Shepherd, come and lead us, for we need you to help us find our We do pray this morning that you would lead us as the Good Shepherd. Lead us in our praying. Lead us in our walking with you in 2015. Lead us in our giving. May we know what you would want us to do when it comes to giving to your work for your glory. Lord, we pray that you would direct us very clearly, family by family, individual by individual so that You would get the glory for what You're going to accomplish through these gifts that we give. We need You. We need You to help us find our way. Sing together with me once more. There's no other we can turn to help us face another day. Gentle Shepherd, come and lead us for we need you to help us Find our way, for we need you to help us find our way. And all the glory to Him, He will help us. Be confident of that. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. Please stay if you can for our dinner. Look forward to our fellowship together.